0: the Paranoid American Homunculus Owner's Manual, Not for the Faint of Heart. Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Emily Moyer, and this is Strange Mosaic. And earlier this summer, I had the pleasure of being on the one-on-one podcast. He was one of the people I got to know after I was on Weaving Spiders and sort of opened up a window to a whole new world of, of people I didn't know before. And uh, I think when I was on his show, he was in like month one or two of a brand new baby and he was like super tired. And I wasn't even entirely sure he was all the way with me during the podcast, but the series of emails that followed let me know that not only was he with me, he was listening and i think that he was actually getting on a level that no one else i've talked to including ongoing podcast partners has completely understood what i am saying when i say interdimensional architecture so here to lay it on thick one on one welcome to strange mosaic how are you
2: so i've heard that what happens on strange mosaic stays on strange mosaic so i'm ready to get strange is that is that correct <laughs>
1: Strange, dude. Let's get strange. But before we do, um, you know, I think you might be a, a new person to most of my audience. Um, a lot of uh, I've heard a lot from um, longtime listeners that they oh they like some of the new people that I have been talking to and met since I was on the Weaving Spiders and whatnot. So I'm pretty sure many of them, unless they're like deep into. Um, sort of Florida Tartaria may not have have heard of you so tell us a little bit about um one on one I'm a, I, I don't know if that's like uh you and your altar if there's like <laughs> two and one there right so just like you know how did you come to this game um you know you're, you're a young guy your dad I think you got like a normal job too but you hit it out of the park with some of your research so how did you end up here?
2: Well, thank you for having me on, Emily. I really enjoyed our last episode on my show. It was episode 103 and on the interdimensional architecture because that's something that's I'm a sci-fi nerd. So anything, you know, I play Dungeons and Dragons, World of Warcraft, So anything magic and it, really anything interdimensional just really makes what I call my esoteric nipples hard. So uh, I came <laughs> I came to this. I was born and raised Pentecostal Christian. I was in the church, hardcore, I was going. Three, four times a week, I was playing in the, in the worship group. I traveled around with the band, playing at juvenile centers, at you name it, other churches, doing concerts and all that stuff. And that was my entire life till I was, I don't know, probably 18 or 19, and I'm 28 now. And I started to notice that not, not everything is as it seems, right, obviously. But I hadn't <laughs> seen anything other than that. I had been always in that. And and I'm not trying to bash religion because I do feel it is, it has its purpose. It, It gives people structure and purpose, which is really important for a lot of people. But for me, there was always something off. Not that I don't believe in a higher power. I do believe in a source. I don't, what I don't want to subscribe to is the, the view that's presented. Right, the the that's pushed really is pushed on people that this is what it is and this is what you have to follow. Well, I I always ask those questions. Well, if, if those people are going to hell in my reality, then th- if they're going to hell in my reality, then I'm going to hell in their reality. So how does that even make sense? And there was there was questions that I couldn't get answers to. And when I, whenever I would question, it always be like, for example, the Book of Enoch. Hey. What is all this about? What what's up with the canon and the non-canon? Well, you see, the way it works is actually don't read that. Oh, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a book that's re- no no don't don't pay attention. But it's referenced in the canon. You're tr- I'm trying to explain to you, right? And they're like, no no no, just put it to the side. Don't read that. Focus. You need to pray and you need to focus, and God will show you the way. And growing up, my entire life, I was fascinated with with the Not so much the paranormal, but aliens, Bigfoot, the Bermuda Triangle is really one of the first things that I started to look into when I was in second, third grade. But reptilians
1: are your favorite, right? You (laughs) love the
2: reptilians, (laughs) reptilians and the. But here's the thing: at 11, 12 years old, I was reading the book Revelation, and I was my grandma was telling me how they would cut my head off if I didn't believe. You know, oh, in order for you to repent, you need to get your head cut off. I was 12, 11, and 12 years old as a kid. I was reading about this stuff so i was kind of scarred right early traumatized early where it's like wait if i don't believe in this i'm i'm, I'm gonna get my head cut off later on and it got to a point where I, where I, when i was when i moved down i was able to make my own decision i was like you know what i don't enjoy going to church i don't enjoy the people there it's a, people are fake I, and this is my experience i'm not trying to say this is for everybody a lot of people are really fake so i just cut that out and i, I needed an outlet for my creativity so I, I first, you know, I'm, I'm big into fishing. I tried fishing videos. But the thing about fishing is you can go out for 12 hours at a time and not catch anything. So it's like, now I don't have a video. I just spent 12 hours. Yeah, I was hanging out, but I don't have content. So then I was like, let me get into podcasting and listening to different shows. Ten Four Hat, Joe Rogan, all these shows that always piqued my interest. But I never heard what I wanted to hear about about Mm -hmm. the deep stuff, right? About the occult, about magic, about the, the people weren't asking the questions, the hard questions, because people get uncomfortable. And what I told you about in the second hour, I want to get into something that I had to consult somebody to be like, Hey, can I, can I get into this? Like I found this book. It's not electronically published anywhere. And it it gets into some really deep stuff. So I had to consult because I'm not a practicing occultist. I just know about the occult. So, uh, You know, this type of information that, that comes to me, I'm like, hmm, should I say that? Because we know what happens when people, I call it flying too close to the sun. You know, mm-hmm. it, some it, things end up happening if you start looking down rabbit holes that you're not supposed to be looking down. So in the first year of my podcast, I was, you know, getting my footing and, and finding my niche. And I think I found it now with just, I don't want to, weird, obscure topics, really. And and bringing a new look upon the same subject that everybody else is looking at because how many times can you say the same thing over and over again without it getting repetitive so I want to put a spin on that I want to talk about something else and you associated me with Tartaria and ruined Florida that actually was something that that came forth from another researcher shout out to homie Romi who has his own podcast and he came to Florida I had never looked at Florida other than the Bermuda Triangle and he was like hey dude we got to look into these guys and lo and behold that's connected to a lot of crazy conspiracies. Not conspiracies, because a lot of it is 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 yeah. history. It's real. it's real. So that's how it started for me. And I like to really step it up when it comes to the research. And I like to go directly to source material. And I like to bring a, a new view upon things. And that's what people have really come to know me for, where I bring up just new perspectives of maybe something that we've been talking about and looking at. But then there's subjects how, what we're going to get into today, where I, again, I've always been fascinated with, with things of interdimensional or a, unforeseen or invisible, where right. it it sounds like science fiction, but the truth is stranger than fiction. And I came across a book, I sent it to you, I was like, wait, and I t- started diving down that wormhole, that rabbit hole, and they don't call me the rabbit hole master for nothing, so here we are, and that's <laughs> a little bit about my little journey
1: all right so uh, i want to pull on a couple of things there so your last i I saw your last name before we started i don't know if you have that put out publicly so i'm not going to say but um what is your heritage because you said you were pentecostal i would have guessed catholic if you said religion or maybe some other denomination of christian but i wouldn't have guessed pentecostal so how what is your heritage
2: i'm puerto rican and my last name, it is public, it's Ayala. And apparently the Ayala family is very prominent in the Philippines. And the reason I found that out was because I called Comcast one time when I, when I needed something, something was happening with my internet. And I called a guy and the call center was in the Philippines or somewhere far. And he's like, oh, uh, royal family. I'm on the phone with this guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was the Ayala family. They're, they're apparently they're billionaires in the philippines Uh and it took a filipino call center guy to tell me that the last name ayala is attached what it would make sense though because the puerto ricans spaniards the indigenous people and the slaves were a mixture were were mutts of of that essentially so i'm puerto rican i'm hispanic
1: so okay Is, is pentecostal a common religion in puerto rico yeah it is, okay, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with Puerto Rico. It's interesting that Ayala is a, um, is a royal Filipino family. I don't know how much looking at all you've done into any of the uh, indigenous population of Philippines or Indonesia in general. Um, but there's some definitely very interesting tribes there, including a tribe of underwater breathers. Um, and uh, it's it as soon as you said, Puerto Rico and Ayala and Philippines. I was like, Ooh, I wonder, I wonder <laughs> if there's underwater breathers in Puerto Rico too. And it would make a lot of sense based on a lot of the activity that we hear, um, you know, that goes on around there. Um, and so that might be something for us to sort of explore a little bit as well uh, another time. And I'll let you know about some of the features of the underwater breathers at some point and, and we'll see if we can, <laughs> if we can pull on that a little bit. But okay, I just, you know, I, I I don't know. I think most of the people that I've ever met that are Pentecostal, which are probably really few, um, I did not know that that was common in, in Latin cultures at all. I usually hear, you know, Catholic mostly and a few other denominations of Christian or whatnot. So that's interesting to know. Um, and then I, I really liked what you said about, uh, well, first of all, I like that you didn't, believe you didn't you weren't satisfied with not getting the answers from your mm. parents and your, your preachers and all of that kind of stuff um i'm endlessly fascinated at how many people um in this realm um grew up religious i did not i'm actually the only person i've met in all well maybe one or two others um in all the people i've interviewed and gotten to know that was just really raised with no religion right like I'd say like maybe maybe towards maybe some leanings towards atheism, right? But not but not really in any like super organized way. Um so it's always fascinating to me um how I ended up in the pool with all these people who 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 were very very <laughs> religious, right? And um and and you know, it it's one of these things that like some of the stuff that religious people believe like always seem to me like, how the hell does anybody believe that? So Mm -hmm. the fact that there's like so few people, um, that, I mean, there's a lot of people that were raised religious and then they're not religious anymore, but they didn't move on to like question everything else. Like they're very not conspiracy minded or very not like super open minded to the other possibilities we could have been lied to about. And then on the flip side, there are people who start questioning things who like make a ridiculous religion of that too and require a savior and like, you know, all these kinds of things. So um, it it is interesting that you also come from that kind of background. Um, I love what you said about... um, when you started looking at listening to podcasts right you wanted to you wanted to do some youtube videos or whatever and in some ways this is a you're a perfect fisherman man you're on a fishing expedition all the time with what you're doing so you're not making fishing videos you're just catching a different kind of fish i felt the same way when i got really into podcasts and i i was into some pretty weird podcasts like even though there weren't as many Podcasts when I started listening, as there are when you probably started, there was all kinds of wacky shit because censorship wasn't an issue in the early days of YouTube and podcasting and whatnot, and I'm a good bit older than you um so i I got into some really weird stuff right off the bat, um, and even in most of the weirdest podcasts or the most underground or whatever. I always felt unsatisfied that they stepped back right before asking the question that was the only one that I was thinking about the whole time, right? And so I, for me, that's why I got into doing this because I wanted to ask the question that for some reason, everybody else either didn't occur to them or they refused or I don't know what, I don't know if they were scared. I don't know what it was, right? So that was kind of, you know, my purpose in doing this. And my observation and experience has been that a lot of times when I talk to some of the people, some of the guests who were being interviewed on those shows that I saw, they've now been on my show, oftentimes when I ask the question, either they don't know the answer, they're still looking or that hadn't occurred to them, or they also don't seem to want to answer. So it isn't just that they weren't asked. And that isn't 100% true across the board. But it's common, Um, and uh, for me at this point, and it's always been a feature of what I do that that I'll go there, but I'm starting to become less patient with that. And I'm starting to really want to, you know, pin people down and be like, what is the point of what we're all doing if we're not going to do that, right? Yeah. And, and and to your point about flying cl- too close to the sun, you know, the kid Icarus, the wax wings and all of that kind of stuff, right? There is a truth to that. And also, I think for a long time, a lot of yeah, – people with interests in keeping certain things hidden in secret have relied on the fact that 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 mythology and that story is out there, that if you get too close, right? And so you have a lot of people, just like you have people self-censoring for topics that aren't considered politically correct or might get you kicked off of YouTube, you also have people not going the step farther, the inch deeper, at least not publicly, because of this built up sort of myth that has some truth all myths are based in truth but I think we're getting to a place that it's like some of us need to start kicking the doors in anyway and just you know and and deciding okay like you know it's this is my life and you know like this is these are the questions I have and if I'm not going to ask them if I'm not going to nail it down and we're all just going to sit around and wait for like some brave soul to come do it it's the same complaint we have about politicians or people who have a big following in the media that for some reason won't talk about this topic or that topic. So we can't be like that if we're also going to criticize everyone else for being like that. So, um, I think with, uh, you know, we can be smart and we can be measured in how we decide to do things, but I think it's time to go there. So I'm glad that, uh, that you're sort of (laughs) on that team with me and, um, uh i also want to just say that i like you call yourself the rabbit hole master i noticed that was your moniker on your zoom when i was on your show um i think we've always referred to sophia smallstorm as the reigning queen of the rabbit hole that like when you've reached the very bottom of the rabbit hole sophia will be sitting there with a cup of tea for you because she's you know she's kind of carved out all of those spaces and she doesn't necessarily talk about all of the things she's found publicly um but i'll be happy to let her know that she has competition i don't know if you've ever spoken with her but i
2: have have not no i have not (laughs) that that title was given to me by a freemason so that says Ah. something i don't know
1: (laughs) there you go all right you're sleeping with the enemy my friend um all right so uh let's um let's get into it man you really uh were moved by the, some of the things I said about the interdimensional architecture. And to me, like that's, that's where it's at right now with all the things going on in the world with what's staring us right in the face. Um, that's the, that's the, that's the shit that I'm focused on. So I'm glad that, that you took a liking to that and, uh, went in, you know, dug in deeper and, uh, um, that you are also informing the TikTok realm of such uh, such things because that is a playground that I, I don't even like know the code to get into that, uh, <laughs> that world. So I'm glad you're doing that, but I can't wait to hear what you uh, what you have. I did um, look into the Pythagorean palaces book that you mentioned to me uh, in the emails and that you should know you made the TikTok video about. and I have shown your TikTok video on a couple of my shows. Um, I couldn't find an affordable copy of the Pythagorean palaces because as soon as I mentioned it,
2: Cause I bought it all. I bought them.
1: <laughs> as soon as I mentioned it, my, my good buddy, Jeff, always, oh, as soon as I mention a book, he goes out and buys the last affordable copy. And so then I can't ever have the books that I'm looking for, but I did find that there was like a way I can look at it online. I couldn't download it, but I can look at it page by page. I haven't had a chance to do it yet. Um, so I'm glad you're uh, you're reading it and you're here to tell us about it. So you said you have a presentation. Take it away.
2: So you, you said everything beautifully and I couldn't agree more when it comes to there's a have interviewed people who are occultists. And even in the comments, people were like, hey, why is this guy so dodgy with his wording? What's up? So I go, there's a reason why it's the occult. There's a reason why it's exoteric and esoteric. And I respect that, right? If you are doing something, as long as you don't hurt yourself or others, you can worship Cthulhu for all I care. You can do whatever you want with your body as long as you don't hurt others or yourself. That's the way I feel about practicing. We live in this beautiful country where you're able to practice freedom of religion. You're able to practice whatever it is that you want, obviously within those guidelines to me. And so I've always been fascinated with, in this realm of research, I'm constantly looking for the, I don't know, I should put it up for the, for the next hit of euphoria, right? The next, not high, but like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Because as soon as you you know you start off with, people always ask me, oh, what book should I read to begin? Well, I always point them in the Manly P. Hall, The secret teacher of all ages. If you want to get just just the tip in, you just read that one. And, and from there, it'll trickle down and you can, each individual section you can look into. It's gotten like that for me where I, I I did this area of research, I did this area of research, and now I'm starting to see how they start connecting with one another, where well, they start to bleed into one another. I go, okay, well, oh, I've heard this guy before. Well, that, that's the guy that has to do with this and that. And that's how I came across Pythagorean palaces. I was doing research on another episode, which we talked about briefly on my show when you were on, about the the married realities, how yeah. they, they want to mimic a higher level of existence and by the way i hate tiktok i think it's a cesspool i think there's a bunch of npcs on there and whenever you bring something up that's new somebody always has to one-up you oh i i knew that years ago oh did you really but did you make a video on it no probably not right so you always have that one that guy wants to one-up you i I already knew that what's so mind-blowing about that okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Like you always have those people. And then if if there's a a large fandom on there that will go after you, I've been, I've been attacked because I talked about Cthulhu potentially being a jinn. Apparently you can't say that because he's, um, this fictional creature is, is a God above gods. I'm sorry that I can't uh, speculate on mythology, on the mythos of some guy back then that that came up within his imagination or did he really? Or was it something outside the fabric of reality influencing him? Right. So you have this these ideas. And when I and when I post that again, a different view on the same perspective everybody's been looking at, people flip out. But the way I see it is no publicity is bad publicity. So the people who troll me and they keep commenting, that's fine. It's good for the algorithm. Keep commenting and and I'll keep thumbing it up or replying back something dumb just to you know get the engagement going. So yeah, I've been on, I, I hate TikTok and this idea of Pythagorean palace as I came across it doing this research and it related to John Dee and I've studied John Dee in, in depth as well and I've been meaning to do an episode on it. I've probably read, I think four biographies on John Dee now and the Enochian system that he authored and, and I have some of that in here too. Because that really stepped it up more. And and in that in that paper that I saw, which was a Japanese individual, a Japanese researcher, Mm because I always like to go to the source material. If I'm reading something and I see somebody, somebody say something really interesting, I want to know where they got that from. Because if I go to repeat it again, I need to be able to cite my source. So when he says something like where uh, Marsilio Ficino is trying talking about a Neoplatonic renaissance philosopher right he, he was he was at the forefront at the revival of neoplatonic thought in the renaissance when he's talking about how if you adhere to pythagorean uh, principles you're able to encapsulate a, a, an imaginary building of higher consciousness within an actual building i go that is crazy to me that that i'd never even thought about that but it immediately made me think of the interdimensional architecture uh-huh so when i looked it up i saw it was this really enigmatic author, G.L. Hersey, where I picked up his book. I saw there was only one available and I paid like a hundred bucks for it. So I picked it up and I couldn't put it down. I was reading it. I know about Pythagoras. I know what he was all about, which I'm going to get into that now. But when I start to, when you start to see it being, again, blended into other areas of research, I have another friend who talks about Renaissance architecture and how architecture is, Essentially, at the end, it's a talisman, right? It's, it's a machine and mm-hmm. they, they use it. The cathedrals, right? Focanelli, the cathedrals were used as talismans, as magical talismans to warp the perceptions of everybody. Because if you think of it to be true, it becomes true. So they were using the, this technology and it's linked to Tartarian, all that stuff. We want to go down that rabbit hole. But essentially that these buildings were used, but I'm having a, a, a hard time understanding. The why I think I have the who, the the where, the when, the what, but I don't. I'm not. I'm having a hard time understanding the why, other than for power, and we'll get into it. So, I dubbed this math magicians, number forms and architectura imaginalis, and that comes from a dubbed the mundus imaginalis by uh, have his name here somewhere, but it was uh he was Carl Jung's friend, and he dubbed it where it's essentially this realm, the the imaginary realm. But it's not just because it's imaginary doesn't make it unreal. Right. And we'll Mm -hmm. get into that. So my some of the greatest minds of antiquity were obsessed, I've noticed, with turning their ideas into platonic Archimedean solids. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it is, it's having an idea transcend different levels of existence or reality. And we have Plato with the theory of forms, where he argues that non-physical forms represent the most accurate reality. This world is full of, it's It's a reflection of a more, of more divine world. So if you, if you have a horse in this world, it's an imperfect copy of the perfect horse above, right? Above. And uh, Plato also talked about archetypes and all these things, but essentially what I don't like about that, because he came up with the the Demiurge, right, Plato, is that it demeans this reality. So Pythagoras founded everything that the Gnostics were talking about, which the, the Gnostics were going off of everything that Plato talked about. So you see this line of it's Pythagoras, Plato, Gnostics, then Christianity, the church. And there's always something focusing on You wanting to ascend, you wanting to go above. You live this life good with a good karma. You do everything you need to do. You pay your tithings, you do everything that you need to do. And maybe we might save you a seat. We might save you a seat if you're a good little boy and you just need to make sure you follow all the rules and everything. Well, that for some people that rubs them the wrong way. This this idea of the Demi urge and and how this is a prison. This is a hollow shell for, you know, the soul and all these things. Well, that comes from from Plato, really. And this is from the book that, that I want to reference in the second hour where the juice is when I'm really going to crank it up to ten, because I'm not sure if I should be saying some of that stuff in there, but I don't see why not because it's a book. So I don't I don't know. Right. Uh, like all architectural forms created by the mind and sound, whether physical or psychic, they are founded on the platonic solids. And I never understood why it is that these these people of antiquity or even today want to transform their ideas into solids but i mean you can say that's manifestation that's all what magic is all about and ideas like the cosmic mind or the greek nous right which is this 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 universal mind were born with pre-socratic philosophers this weird guy uh, thales of miletus which is the father of western philosophy and he used geometry because this is related to sacred geometry and number, which we're going to get into Pythagoreanism. Geoma- he used geometry to calculate the heights of pyramids and the distances of ships from the shore. And he was actually the first one ever to have a math- mathematical discovery attributed to him. So the first person in history to be like, okay, this mathematical discovery, which is the Thales theorem, is attributed to this guy. He was the first one. And his pupils consisted of Anaximander, Anaximenes, and of course, Pythagoras. So his school... Birth, th- all these other Western philosophy. So we see it go from one guy, and I'm sure there's another guy before him who you can trace the lineage back. And concepts like Aperion manifested. Aper- Aperion is a cosmological theory created by Anaximander in which he believed the beginning of the ultimate reality is eternal and infinite or boundless, Aperion. And Aperion is not subjected to the laws of time and is regenerative. So you see these ideas of... I've always said, why are we using ideas of the ancients from a guy from 200, uh, you know, year 200, 300? We're using their ideas today. Pythagoras was alive in the year 500, 600. We're using his theorems today. I think that's the secret to the immortal alchemist. And that's a whole other thing that I talk about where these guys are literally, they become an Elias Artista, like this Rosicrucian uh, messiah that lives on the ascended masters that they live outside the fabric of reality. And they achieve this through, I believe it's through making an imprint on history and people talk about, oh, well, I want to live forever in this body. Well, I don't think it works that way. I think it works differently. I think it's more of a metaphysical thing and their spirit goes on in a way. And I've talked about this in depth on my show. So they wanted to take sophisticated ideas like this universal mind or this higher realm, and they wanted to bottle them up into one one place. They wanted to encapsulate them. And I believe that this is achieved through the use of formula. I consider formula the same thing as a magical operation, as a ceremony. Because a formula allows you to take incorporeal concepts, so concepts that are in the ether essentially, and you plug them into this formula to get a different outcome. Well, as kids in school, they always told you to plug it into the formula, right? But they uh, they never told us what these number forms, what they mean. If you, you ever asked your math teacher to explain what this theorem meant, they gave you some generic answer or sometimes they couldn't even answer you. And that that goes back to my whole thing of me questioning like right. what are we what what is this for? When am I going to use this, teacher? Well, you might not ever use it. Why are you teaching me if I'm never going to use it? But I find it weird that in the matrix, the characters plug themselves in into the matrix, right? <laughs> And we'll talk. We'll talk about that later. And
1: oh, that's interesting. Okay. Right? They
2: plug themselves in. Right? And the, and what is the matrix? It's number code. And we'll we'll, we'll get into that. There's a lot of things that I, that again. I'm, I'm it, When I was putting this together, and mind you, this is not done. Right? This is this is this is research that I'm going to keep adding to as time goes on. And this is how I got to this point by doing all the research I've done. And I felt like I was pulling at random things. You know, compiling this document that I have. I'm just, w- what does this have to do with But then I would find something that would put put them together. So it may, it may seem crazy at first, but trust me, I think I have something solid. I'm not sure, but right, let, let, let's take a whack at it.
1: People like crazy either way. So if you have <laughs> something, whether you're just making up a story, if it's entertaining, they love it. So
2: <laughs> I want to focus on obviously the, these ideas being applied to, Architecture in order to form a different dimension, in order to either open up a portal or what it is. I am not 100%. I'm not 100% sure. And I dubbed this "arquitectura imaginales," so imaginal architecture. And so,
1: oh, hold on a second. You you said you had three sections. Was that complete with the first section, and you're moving to the next? Or I mean, I'm, I'm
2: on, on the introduction right now. I'll tell you <laughs> when.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. So tell me when we at the end of each section, so I can offer my comments then. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Very good. I'm still on the on the introduction. Perfect. It's, it's juicy. I'm telling you, this is this is crazy stuff that I, even I don't fully understand. I'll be 100 percent honest with you because I was I was really bad at math in school. But here it is. All right. The Cartesian coordinate system always intrigued me. Its origins, René Descartes, which huh? a very uh, interesting. Uh, Person in history, right? With Cartesian philosophy, but the Cartesian coordinate system, which I remember reading a book about it coming to him in a dream. But when I went to go find that in order to source it in here, the book that it was, it changed. It's allegedly he was laying in bed, looking up at the, at a fly on his ceiling. And he wanted to be able to identify where it was according to So you get the X and the Y, and I'm familiar with the Cartesian coordinate system because I have a background in electronics engineering with a specialization in robotics, and I have done CAD and CAM. So I've programmed robots essentially to follow a coordinate system to make things. So I'm a little familiar with with this concept, but it, it essentially, it served as a bridge between Euclidean geometry and algebra. And if you look at the etymology of algebra, it's very weird. It's like it, it's it's bone. It's putting it forgot. I have it pulled up here somewhere. But essentially it's like putting together bone and algebra. Al, right. You have alchemy, which is sacred chemistry. Let me look it up here. So I have it here. Algebra from medieval land, algebra from it's Arabic. And where was it? Anyways, it's somewhere in here. Reunion of broken parts. So I got it wrong. Anyways, yeah, Reunion of Broken Parts, Algebra. Now, and it comes from Arabic. And John D. calls it algebra and al Interesting. I didn't read that part. But this this weird concept, you have this grid and it revolutionized mathematics. It was at the forefront and it is most commonly used in computer graphics, computer aided design, geometry related data processing. And I consider it a sort of talismans or a a, a talisman or a mandala, because again, it brings these incorporeal ideas into fruition. So if you're able to connect the dots literally within this system, because you add an axis and this is, these, these are different levels of reality. You know, when you add that third axis, the Z axis, you get the 3D, which is what's used in essentially modeling and everything. So uh, it brings these incorporeal concepts into fruition. And the ritual is halfway done when it gets to that point. So the process goes like this from the ether to the mind, to verbal expression, to a medium. So paper or a program or a small model, which architectures, uh, architects would build small models for a reason. Uh, Mm -hmm. to the actual manifestation or the building in the case of architecture. So these guys back then would boast about getting, there were demiurges with these buildings. They were the the demiurge of this building. So they would have meetings with royalty and boast about, oh, I came up with this crazy design. Here it is. So it came from the ether and entered their mind, verbal expression. They're talking about it to the royalty before they actually draw it up, make the little model, show it to the the king or the queen or whoever it may be, and then they build the 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 actual building itself. Architecture is divination because they need to be able to, in a hundred years from now, they need to be able to tell if that foundation is going to hold that building. So everything mm-hmm. that the architect is doing, back then architects were magicians. They were practicing divination. So again, very interesting concept. And that concept of an architect being a magician is an actual field of study. There are people who actually have written books about this. I actually have a, a an interview tomorrow with one of them, with a professor who wrote a book, Architect as Magician. So hopefully, I'll see how many people buy that book from from your audience, Architect as Magician. <laughs>
1: Well, your your interview your uh, interview will be with him will be before this goes out. So I don't know uh, if you want to buy the if you want to buy the book if you don't have it yet, <laughs> buy it before this goes out, otherwise Jeff will snag it and then you won't be able to get it. <laughs> so
2: I relate this. So going back to the occult, because I think the occult is related to a lot of things that we talk about, whether we like it or not. But I relate this to the Golden Dawn's interpretation of Enochian and magic. Mind you, I, I told you that I. I studied John D. I know about John D. I've read like four of his of his his biography. So it clicked in my mind. Oh, wait, this is related to so and so. And John D was a very peculiar guy. He's very interesting. But I relate to the Enochian interpretation because they took his system. Crowley did something with it as well. where certain furniture and tablets are used in a ceremonial setting in order to invoke enochian entities and these entities are given a physical medium in order to manifest so i don't know if you've ever seen an enochian tablets got like tournicated pyramids in it right so they're raised and that's the 3d that's the the manifestation aspect of it where they need to don't give them anything bigger because they talk about all these entities are super strong don't give them anything bigger than that just give them something just enough to where they're able to you know, just a tip where they're just able to 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 show you a, a, a fraction of what they're able to do. Again, I'm not a practicing occultist. This is from accounts that I've read or from people who have told me about it. Regardless of all this stuff that I talked about, the, I believe the modern day educational system is a Rockefeller byproduct. It's a, it's a it's a Frankenstein, right? Of a bunch of people put together and And I I put in here, in a quasi-Promethean way, instead of illuminating us with knowledge, they seek to suppress it from us. So all the stuff that I talked about of why they don't explain numbers to you, why they don't explain, oh, this is what it means, is because they're trying to suppress these ideas from uh, from us. They, They want it to be esoteric. They don't want it to be exoteric. And this is how we get into how you were mentioning earlier about secret societies and people withholding and gatekeeping information Maybe some people are definitely doing it uh, intentionally. Some people, maybe not. Who knows? But I do think that there is a strategic uh, plan to suppress it from people actually learning about it. And Professor uh, here goes, uh, Rockefeller, so they're, they're trying to, to suppress it from us. They've hijacked this information and the elites understand that all is numbered just as Pythagoras stated. And Professor Hersey, which is what really got me into all this to the Pythagoreans who were essentially number magicians. Numbers were not only quantities, but qualities as well. They had fixed or predictable geometric, psychological, moral, and even personal natures. And I've done an entire breakdown on Pythagorean number symbolism. It's on my Patreon or my Rockfin where I go from one to 10 and above, where I talk about what, each and every single number, what it means. And that's a two hour presentation. So you can go over there and watch that. Cause again, that's why I'm, when I was trying to put this together, I wanted to put it together where it wasn't too convoluted. Cause the entire number symbolism is a two hour podcast on its own. That was me by myself talking. So imagine with conversation, like, oh, this means, number one means this two, three, etc., And it's all related to sacred geometry and essentially buildings are algorithms incarnated. And there's a reason why you see it feels like an art. We're going backwards in time and you see it with the evolution of architecture. Back then we were able to these beautiful buildings to them. They were algorithms incarnated, you know, each and every single measurement of that building was there for a reason. And you see the brutalism movement in the 18th, 19th century, where it's used to suppress right in order. I feel again like a like a Plato a republic where he was talking about taking away certain musical notes, certain musical instruments, certain frequencies, so they wouldn't speak to the soul on a deeper level. So people would be more susceptible to breaking out of the system, breaking out of the matrix, right? And they're and they're dumbed down, go to work every single day. There's a reason our houses are cookie cutter. Vitruvius talked about how every single space was meant for a certain reason and energies flowing and feng shui is a real thing, right? The way that your layout and your setup is set. But now we have that we're being attacked from all sides. We have the the 5G, the Wi-Fi, all these signals coming at us and bombarding us constantly 24 hours a day. Plus the layout of our homes essentially could be laid out wrong. According to Vitruvian. Principles, which guess who? inspired vitruvius pythagoras so it goes back always to these same guys for some reason and uh hersey maintains the distribution of elements in a building such as columns doors and windows and their proportional relationships were infused with meanings that we cannot recapture until we examine the mathematical context within which the buildings were designed and just how a sympathetic magician is able to cause effect from a distance An architect becomes a demiurge. The buildings acting as their homunculus, as their homunculi, Mm -hmm. through the law of contagion and correspondence, they're able to manipulate inhabitants' realities, warp their perceptions real time. And Pythagorean geometry not only had an intellectual and aesthetic role, but it also had a spiritual and magical function. And that's the end of the introduction. All
1: right. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So let me just tell you a couple of things that pop just on your, on your, after the introduction. Just out of curiosity, have you ever done mushrooms?
2: Yes, I have. One time.
1: One time. Okay. So I don't know. Huh?
2: I saw Baphomet and never again. (laughs)
1: Okay. Okay. So I don't see stuff like that when I do mushrooms. So I, I, my experience, in the mushroom realm and and this goes to what you were saying about you didn't you were trying you didn't know why they felt like they needed to capture ideas in geometric shapes or or geometric symbols or forms. the first couple of years I took psychedelics I was not closing my eyes I was you know taking them at raves and I was a break dancer and a popper and I was like oh it makes me my body feel weird I can move like a robot I can move like, whatever kind of thing I, I, I noticed that like my psychology and the things I thought about were interesting but there was not a visual attached to them and then some point uh, after 2005 sometimes after 2005 I started closing my eyes when I was dancing um and uh when I would be sometimes sometimes I'd be sober but it was sort of like that started happening after I'd had enough of those experiences on mushrooms or, or whatnot um But I would close my eyes when I was dancing and I was treated to the just incredible visual shows that I have never seen anything in the outer world match up to. And they started really simple. And then they got, as time went on, they got more and more complex to this very day, they're increasing in complexity. Um, But in the very beginning, it was just simple sacred geometry shapes and simple mandalas and then it became more and more till now the things that i see are far more intricate than the craziest alex gray or any of those other sort of psychedelic artist you know sort of uh entheogenic artists like literally so, some of the stuff i see in that space is the most fantastic architecture that look looks like S- something far beyond like Anchor Watt or anything that these old things were. It's it's that with extra dimensions of like color and space and everything is like, have you ever looked at a lot of like um, fractals or Mandelbrot sets or any of those like extreme zoom in fractals where it's just everything just wow. Like you think you couldn't get to any more definition than that, but you do like that. But it's always... Like, each trip, like, will be sort of at least one themed kind of building, one themed kind of room or building that I'm sort of exploring. And there's a theme to the things that I'm thinking about, the ideas that are in my mind. And what it feels like is that, and I don't know how the mushrooms are involved in this, other than I I think mushrooms have an element of, like, of uh, something having to do with speakers or sound. Because what I have noticed is when I listen to music on mushrooms, it becomes much crisper and much more defined, almost as if it's acting to tune the music perfectly or something. And each of those sounds seem to open up some, some like other layer of things. So it seems like what, what gets constructed in the early first hour or two of the trip is a church or a palace for me to explore a certain idea inside of, right? And so um, I, I, I do mushrooms sometimes without music. A lot of times I do them with music, but even when I do them without music, somewhere off in the distance, I don't know if it's inside my ears or my head or I'm tuning into something elsewhere, like I'm hearing a rhythm and that rhythm seems to be, that sound seems to be creating the, the light and the color spectrum and the geometry that all this is being constructed of, right? And then there's all these eyes there and there's all kinds of like everyday items that when I look closely at any of these things that look fantastic, I'm like, oh, wow, that's like made up of something that's like an everyday item but it looks like something I've never seen before, right? Um, And so the idea that uh, a shape and a shape associated with the number would compel somebody to think about a certain thing. And then you layer those on top of each other to create more complex ideas or arguments or points of view or whatever. Um, And that you want to construct a space big enough for a person to examine the contents of their mind related to those ideas in that space. And then once you've been there and had that experience that you want to then like the, amazing thing is if you can then bring that into reality so others can have that opportunity, right? So to me, that makes that that's, that that makes perfect sense what you said. The reason that they need to get it into a geometric shape is because that is the most uh, um, I think, efficient way to pass complex information across dimension, whether that dimension be from one mind to the next, or from the mind to the physical world or or whatnot, right? So so that. And then you said um, you t- said something about numbers as characters in formulas, right? If you notice in like Stranger Things, the psychic MKUltra kids are not given names, they're numbered, right? And so, you know, and it seems like number one does this, number two does that thing, three, four, five, we put them together, boom, we have this, right? So um, when you were talking about plugging into the matrix, if you watched Fringe, um, Peter had to plug into the machine, Peter had to be with Olivia, right? So I think it's true that people can inhabit some of the ideas that, or people can be the carriers of the geometric or the numerical, information. Yes. Archetypes, architects. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, and then you said uh, putting together bone. Algebra means putting together bone or reunion of the broken parts.
2: Yeah, right. I, I don't know where I got the bone from, but it was reunion of broken parts. There's the etymology of algebra. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, actually I, I was right. The same word was used in English in the 15th to 16th century to mean bone setting as a medieval Latin algebra usage picked up probably Arab medical men so I was right so yeah bone interesting right bone setting algebra That
1: that, that that makes sense to me for a couple of reasons right so I'm pretty sure that like bones were something used in divination in a lot of ancient arts particularly in like Asia and things like that Right? There's also, obviously, the one thing that none of us can argue with that is a plus of modern medicine, where there's so many minuses, is things like surgery and being able to deal with broken bones and putting them back together and whatnot. There's also, and this just came up in an interesting personal way the other day, and I I knew about this before, but I'm just thinking about it now. There's a kind of Japanese pottery art that that breaks it and then puts it back together. Right. Like it, it, the art is you you make the thing, you break it and then you put it back together with this like gold stuff. And it's more beautiful than it was before it was broken. And I think that some of that stuff is made of porcelain, but I think maybe in its original way, some of it was made of bone. You have bone keepers, you have people who fashion all kinds of little figures out of bone. So I, I think that makes that makes sense. Right. Like, it, this obsession with taking things apart and putting them back together, we all know that that's something that, like, someone who is a little cuckoo, but maybe on the border of genius likes to do is take it apart, put it back together, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, architects as magicians, that's where all my stuff is leading me, that, like, the architecture is... Um, you know, and we should know this because like Freemasons build shit, but somehow we think that Freemasons are different than architects. Like, I don't know where that the, that that got so confusing for us. Um, I definitely think so. I think that we are um, being right now in initiated, inducted into a magical realm and the architects are the creator of the show that we are all participating in, right? You talked about Enochian, uh, like the Enochian magic and whatnot. How much have you looked into Enochian chess?
2: Actually, I didn't know about that until I started looking into this because I wanted to confirm some information. And I saw that the founders actually made Enochian chess. And one of the founders, McGregor, I believe, McGregor, I think is his name, would play with a spirit. Did you hear about that? He would, whenever he would go for his, partner because you play with a partner he would right. cover his eyes turn take the piece and he would put it down but i did it not they invented enoki in chess i did come across that when i was doing my research yes
1: okay so i don't know a ton about it it's come up a couple of times in shows with michael and i um but it came up we were looking very closely at the sort of uh the the, the why now of the um what was that chess tv show that came out last year queen's gambit uh, queen's gambit right mm-hmm. like you know we really did a couple of very deep dives on that and it has some interesting things that it connects to but we started to look at enokian chess and Enochian chess is the type of chess where you take the game and the characters off of the board and out into the real world right it's it's not contained
2: to the game, game of thrones board.
1: correct right so you take it off And, and I think that that was, and you use the, you use the things that you learn about chess out in the real world, right? And it, it, it's, it's very, you know, that's what she was doing with like the projection of the of the chessboard onto the ceiling and then this examination of her life and how good she was in the game, but how out of control she was in real life and how she had to learn how to be more chess-like in the way she behaved in the outer world and whatnot. Um, it's also obvious that, that, you know, the Masonic floor is the chessboard that extends in every way. Like if you watched uh, Twin Peaks and the way when they were in the red velvet room or the dark lodge or the white lodge, like the 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 floor would separate into different levels. There was like the black and the white, right? Like this is kind of like, um, uh, you know, it's like when, when something breaks outside of the box that you previously thought it was contained to and begins moving in a way that you don't expect, right? And you can get into like the extended forms of Sudoku with this. You can look at certain forms of like popping, like the dance style. You can look at voguing and king tuts and whatever. And these are other methods of just like displaying the same idea. Um, And then to the brutalist thing, because I've looked at brutalism a lot, And I think your, um, so obviously we had all these fantastic old world buildings, right? that, That, you know, were magical looking and then we moved into this like brutalist stuff. And I think that I have a different take on brutalism, right? Like I think yes, to the average person, exoterically, It was a suppressive architecture. But to those in the know, it was actually the perfect scaffolding for a Pythagorean palace if you understood how to project imagination onto that structure. Um, I've looked at some of that stuff in Cuba, in the Soviet Union, and whatnot. And I'm like, yes, you're looking at it, and it's like kind of ugly. But if you can imagine, this rises up here. It's like looking at a transformer or something like that, right? Um, So I think that was a kind of architecture that separated the exoteric and the esoteric. And it was one experience for the people suppressed by it and another experience for the people who knew what to do with it, right? Um, And then the last thing I wanted to say about uh, buildings as algorithms, um, yeah, right? Like for sure, Um, and we're starting to see a form of architecture that is definitely with a function besides just living in it or having offices in there. We're looking at buildings that are also musical instruments, buildings that are pieces of technology, buildings that are transformative, buildings that exist in, in sort of multiple layers or realms. Um, and, uh, the algorithm is high magic, right? Like being able to create an algorithm that is an elegant string. They're always wanting to create an elegant string that is fairly simple, but creates something super complex. And this was like, I have a a cousin who I don't think I ever met, but if I I did, it was when I was a baby, who is a famous mid-century modern architect who visits me when I'm having mushroom trips sometimes and explains to me my birthright because I am related to him. And it has to do with all of this kind of stuff, right? And it, it's it's much about um, it's much about providing spaces that allow the individual to use their imagination to like meet the structure. Imagination meets structure and becomes whatever you can make of it. And it's almost like people who can do this—it's kind of like having a um, a dance battle or an art battle where it's like, well, check this out. Like, this is what you did. This is what I do or whatever with this, right? So, okay. So that's my response to your opening statements. Go where you like. And um, this is either going to be a super long show or we may have to quickly come back for a part two. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> I, I, you know, I was worried about that because I said, if there's anybody, when I was putting all this together, I said, this sounds really crazy. I'm not sure if anybody's gonna be able to keep up. But if I had to pick a better person to do it th- this way. I think it was you because you understand these really weird concepts and are able to make something of it. Cause I, I honestly didn't think I was putting anything together coherent uh, until the very end, but you said you touched on a lot of things that, uh, that we could get into. But the one, number one is I had this in the presentation, but I took it out cause I, Went on a limb and said that the Cartesian coordinate system is almost sort of like a Masonic tracing board, and I had it on there, and I and I took it out because I don't know enough about the Masonic tracing board other than what you know what's it's what the es- exoteric purpose is, right? Who knows what goes on behind closed doors, but I I, re- I said it's almost like a Masonic tracing board. Uh, th- this idea of things getting out of control—that's Frankenstein, right? Where they put all these crazy parts together. And you don't know how it's gonna react, and it just goes on a rampage, like the golem. Right, the golem goes on a rampage, and, and they don't know how to stop it. It's bigger and bigger and bigger, and uh, the the transformer stuff, which I'll bring up later, because it has to do with with a lot of this. And one of the more ma- the one of the magicians who was on Architect was Daedalus, the labyrinth, to in order to in, to entrap the Minotaur. He was a magician that made the labyrinth in order to entrap the Minotaur. And the Minotaur is symbolic for a lot of things. Uh, it could be uh, the bestiality of man or it can it can mean a, a number of things. But the Adalis, and I'll bring up some other stuff later in regards to that, because that's really interesting. And a uh, part of a, mag- a part of magic is having a system where you're able to reproduce results. That's science. That is, I believe that quantum physics and all these things is essentially magic they just have to put quantum entanglement oh okay and quantum tunneling yeah it's 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 physics yeah it's magic right at the end of the day and uh <laughs> there was this really funny thing you, you said about uh displaying what i could do in a dance battle right oh mm-hmm. i can oh, you know i can do all these things and i look crazy well they were doing that back then with buildings they were having yeah. battles with their buildings and if you had 12 uh, uh arcs on yours well, i wanted 24 arcs on my i want double the arcs that you have if you had 13 pillars well i want 26 pillars and they were going back and forth literally having a crunk battle with their buildings mm-hmm. and they were flexing to each other and let's let's get into the rest of it because this again this plays a lot again it, 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 it can we can take this a whole number of different ways and i'm happy i'm here doing this with you because you're able to take it where we want to (laughs) go
1: real quick what you said about the masonic tracing board and the cartesian coordinates so i'm not saying that this is exactly what they do but i am sure that it's something like this and i think this is part of what explains the different groups like or secret societies right because they have some things in common and then there's there's some differences I think it has to do with which what they make each coordinate, right? So I, I need to I, I need to do some more understanding of how the z coordinate comes into this. But I've talked about this a little bit, like with Lindsay Sharman once and whatnot. That like I think some of the groups, right, use. Let's just say let's play with x and y for now, and we'll leave z. Okay, so like let's say x is space and y is time right so uh some of the groups may use space as x or 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 whatever and and time is y right and the way that they arrange time is around space like they use space as their anchor and they arrange timelines around physical locations and some other group may do it the other way right they use time as their anchor and then they array their dimensions around that way and then you bring in the z and you start to get into a more three-dimensional kind of thing and that's the difference between what i'm not saying that this is exact how it is but like maybe the knights templar and the scottish rite Freeman, you know whatever it is right there's different groups within and then you have like you know jason society and blah 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 you have all these different groups and i think they just use a slightly different arrangement they they give a different co- they give they give a different property to the coordinate right the or the coordinate to, to the property kind of thing and then they're able to hide these pocket dimensions or these realities right here. There's no far away place. Everything's here. It's just folded in in a way that if you can figure out the geometry, kind of like origami, like if if you know how you make a bird out of a square piece of paper, you can sort of mathematics your way into this sort of other realm. And it has a lot to do with perspective and angle and, 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 and sort of like uh, certain locations. Okay. I'm going to shut up. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so then the next, the next section here, the first section of three, the number Magi. Okay. And uh, we have here two quotes. Beautitude is the knowledge of the perfection of the numbers of the soul. Pythagoras and all his number and that's a Pythagorean saying I don't know if Pythagoras himself said it and let's keep in mind I'll say it here I'll I'll say it in the presentation but we have many secret societies that have numerical numbers that Mm -hmm. can be reinterpreted as letters vice versa well some occult circles actually worshipped the numbers and Mm -hmm. Pythagoras associated with the famous Pythagorean theorem And it states that in a right triangle, the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides. And Pythagoras was an Ionian Greek philosopher, a mathematician, and founder of the religious movement called Pythagoreanism. And I've studied the Pythagoreans in depth as well. Very interesting. The name Pythagoras derives from the ancient Greek name Pythagoras. Uh, The name means the one who persuades the square. Pythagoras also said that it wasn't even his true name, that within his name, it contains numerical and letter powers. So we're getting into the magical aspect of things. He literally put it in his name, which who does that freighter 210 freighter topaz or whatever freighter da. da, da, da. secret societies do that. They align the B666 Crowley. There's a reason why he would name himself certain things. So they would align numerically to certain numbers because it all goes back to all is number that's why the matrix and all these things make a lot of sense and i believe that if i believe that pythagoras by saying all his number he was insinuating that we were in a simulation and by us being in a simulation all being numbered it's binary code then that would hint at a creator or an or, or a divine architect or mm-hmm. a, a programmer and that's where we get the watchers from the watchers are these entities that are watching the divine alchemist or the divine architect at work forming reality programming reality doing whatever needs to be done that's where the term watchers i believe comes from
1: that's where all the i think that's what all the eyes when you're on when you're tripping and that's why it's in the alex gray stuff Everything, everything has eyes in it. is made up of eyes, and it's the the, uh, the 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 creator, the watcher, or the originator of that idea from which you have you know, are experiencing this amazing imaginal palace or whatever, watching, watching over either their creation or watching to see what your response to their or your or the collaboration between you and them's creation is. Right to to see. That spark of awareness, right? Like to see if you see in me what I see in you, kind of thing, right? Yeah.
2: And keep the eyes thing in mind because I'm gonna—I'll share a a really in-depth synchronicity with you later on the second hour. That that goes pretty crazy. So, now that wasn't his real name. He had numerical and letter powers in Pythagoras, and we have to keep in mind that most of the information written down of Pythagoras was written centuries after he, he lived so we have very little reliable information on Pythagoras he could have not even existed for all we know just like a lot of other historical figures of, of antiquity and the story of the, uh, the story of Pythagoras his origin story is very similar to that of Jesus Christ <laughs> and uh, Pythagoras was said to uh, founded the Asinians and Jesus was said to have studied there the Essenes Uh, So, again, technically, Pythagoras would be J.C.'s daddy. So that's the way I put it. But Pythagoras influenced philosophies of Plato, Aristotle, and through them, Western philosophy as a whole. They say that we need to the word philosopher is attributed to Pythagoras, because back then you had sages, sages know the knowledge already. Philosophers are seeking that knowledge. So that comes from Pythagoras, allegedly. Pythagoras used number symbols as hieroglyphic symbols to represent universal law. So they represented certain archetypes, the monad, the duad, the triad, the decad, all these things, the tetrad, that's all different archetypes for the Pythagoreans. And it is not known if he was involved in what we consider numerology today, since it came after his death, but you can be the judge of that. The association between letters and numbers is possible in various uh, different languages and cultures have used that as well. Therefore, numerology can't be necessarily related to Pythagorean symbolism of number, but, you know, you can kind of see where one sprouted the other there. Uh, Pythagoras was known to be able you you mentioned divination earlier with bones, Pythagoras was known to be able to predict the future uh, because he practiced divination. But there was also stories of him being able to communicate with animals uh, there were you couldn't eat beans right the Pythagoreans couldn't eat beans it was really weird right so You're
1: smart. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: they're supposed uh, there are supposed accounts of him practicing arithmetic or divination by numbers although it is not proven but we can say for a fact that the Greeks did actually practice divination with other things they used the flight of birds the gathering of clouds, the changing of winds, and the entrails of sacrificed animals. So they were practicing divination with other things. We don't have any written accounts of Pythagoras actually using number to divinate, but use your imagination. He probably was, right? He was known as this sage who was uh, omnipresent, omnipotent, omnipresence, where he was in two places at once. He had godlike powers. He could... Uh, there's the same story of when Jesus counted the fish in the net. There's the same story like that with Pythagoras. Uh, Pythagoras' yeah. mom was a virgin. Uh, Mary was also a virgin. So you see, the he was uh, predicted by an oracle, the the uh, Pythia, the the oracle of Delphi. Apparently, she was one of the ones that predicted that Pythagoras was going to be this great uh, influencer, right? Uh, so again, you see these parallels are kind of weird, but who knows? Uh, what distinguished the Pythagoreans was their method for purifying the mind. They didn't achieve it by meditating. They achieved it by studying mathematics and science. The ultimate union with the divine was set to follow from an understanding of the order of the universe. And the key to understanding the universe was to understand mathematics. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is why I don't understand this because I suck at math. So maybe that's why I don't understand the order of the universe. The study of geometry, music, astronomy was considered essential to a rational understanding of God Man or nature, no one could accompany Pythagoras as a disciple who was not well versed in these sciences. A lot of people came to to join the cult. It was a cult, but they were tested on the subjects, and if they didn't pass, they were dismissed. And Iamblichus, uh, in his life of Pythagoras, and Iamblichus is credited with writing the most of Pythagoras. He writes in the uh, in regards to the Pythagorean initiation. Pythagoras never received. As students, those who came to him without first testing and examining them judiciously. To begin with, he inquired about their relation to their parents and relatives. Next, he surveyed their laughter, speech, or silence, and rather they were unseasonable. Further, he inquired as to their diseases, their associates, their conversations, how they employed their leisure, and what were their objects of joy or grief. He observed their form, their gait, and their whole motions of their body. And he also uh, uh, considered their bodily constitution visible indications of the soul. So he thought by looking at somebody, observing them, he could tell what their soul was like. Mm -hmm. So he was literally watching people walk and laugh. Could you imagine sitting in front of Pythagoras and like, all right, laugh for me. (laughs) And you're just like, you know, you're trying to like, the hell does this guy want? He's like trying to figure me out. So very weird. Just this guy was off. Uh, the Pythagoreans related numbers with different archetypes or monadic forms, and they also related numbers with power. Uh, Pythagoreans said things exist by imitation of numbers. So we have a different view of Plato's theory of forms where he said it was, well, it's a form. Well, what is that form? And it goes back to what we were talking about. All right, let's, let's make it into this solid that I can understand. You know, the five platonic solids. Well, let's make it this one, this one, and this one. So To the Pythagoreans, numbers were an enigma that was to be used in the exploration of wisdom. And I have a couple of quotes here by Johannes Kepler uh, in Harmonices uh, Mundi. And Kepler, uh, Pythagoras talked about the the music of the spheres. And Kepler took that and he is the one accredited with the planets having an elliptical circle. He took that to a literal sense. He said, okay, well, there's something here that needs to be understood. So he literally took the frequencies of every planet and transcribed a song, a musical note, because Pythagoras was also accredited with ratios. And he made a song about it, Johannes Kepler. And when somebody played it for him, it sounded horrible. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to ditch that idea. But he states the Christians know that the mathematical principles according to which the corporeal world was to be created. as co-eternal with god held that reality was mathematical in its nature and is coming again from a time where religion was uh, the main thing right it was it was It revolved uh, everything revolved around religion if you were outside of that you were considered a pagan and you were burned at the stake literally the christian position that emerged at the beginning of the renaissance according to kepler maintains that humans are searching for the definition of invisible immeasurable things so we get to this what you were talking about the mushroom realm where you're seeing all these colors i can't describe what i'm seeing in the dmt realm but i can try and draw a picture so the invisible the immeasurable which is essentially god if this position were true would acknowledge that religion technology science and art share the idea that mathematical forms are an acceptable and correct method of representing the truth of the primary explanation for immeasurable things so With that said, religion acknowledges er, this, this position would acknowledge that all these things that I listed are the correct forms in order to encapsulate that. So this is why it goes from math into architecture, because you have theories and theorems and all these things in order to encapsulate that invisible, immeasurable thing. Architectural theorist Dalibor Vesely stated, the belief shared by artists and scientists during the critical period of transition Was that the true order of reality was mathematical and that the mathematical forms were therefore the most adequate representation of the universe antony god believed that the mathematical forms were a correct method with which to measure and scale the divine he states a tetrahedron with unlimited faces is the synthesis of infinite space the first of these surfaces could symbolize the trinity while the second represents light the third movement, the paraboloid is generated by a straight line that slides along the two others. If we imagine the three straight lines to be infinite, the first can symbolize the Holy Ghost. That is the union between the Father and the Son represented by the other two straight lines, the infinite three form of totality, which is one indivisible and infinite qualities which concede coincide with the essence of the Holy Trinity. And this guy was really religious, so he was using architecture and how it represented the, the, tr- the Holy Trinity. And we can, one of the best examples of architect architecture as, as magic is the idea of the temple, right? Where the temple becomes this place where essentially it's theurgy, where you're using, where you're trying to tap into higher entities in order to invoke a change in, in the material world. Where you are using theurgy to invoke a change. And me coming from a Pentecostal standpoint, I think I understand that very well when there are people running around and speaking in tongues and doing all these crazy things within the church because of, and this is what we're going to get into in the second hour, about the effect of ritual and how all these things affect the psyche and all these things. And it was widely accepted in ancient times that the cube, it all goes back to the the cube was the source of all form and number. And Martinus Capella wrote, the God is adored in all temples with cubic solidity. The cube, which is weird, right? Because we relate that to Saturn and all these other things, right? The cube, the, the Saturn time cube and all these things. And we have the cube in Mecca. We have the cube in the Twin Towers. We have the Tesseract, which is a cube. Hellraiser, the cube, it all goes back to the cube. The cube having six faces, eight vertices, and 12 edges represents the harmonic ratio 6, 8, 12, and was called the geometric harmony, and was revered by the Pythagoreans as the perfect figure. Now, what I was able to capture from all the things that I was reading, because you touched on something very important in all this, the Pythagorean palace thing. And it's the last step. It's the corpo transparente, which is the, the 3D form, what they you with the final form of the thought, but essentially the path it takes is the cube, which is the father of all numbers, of all shapes, of everything mathematical, the cube, the cube and in, in the tetragrammaton, which is the spoken word Yahweh. Right? The, un- the, the, the four different names of God. The cube folds out into a cross, which represents materiality. Jesus was crucified on the cross. We have the four formation, also representative of the Demiurge. So you could say he's that's why he's the father of all things. The cube is the father of all things because four formation is the Demiurge's number. And the number four is is you have the four directions, you have the four elements, you have a bunch of different things associated with the four, and the Pythagoreans revered as the perfect figure. So it goes from the cube to number forms, which we're going to get into next, or what I call numbers form because they form reality. You have the cube number forms, the perfect figure, which is man linea corte, which is these occulted lines on the drawing or the schematics of the building and then the corpo transparente which is exactly worded the way that you said this this imaginary scaffolding if the initiate who, ha- who has been trained is able to see it you have the corpo transparente which is this imaginary scaffolding or what i consider the real google back rooms not just some glitch in the matrix no it's an actual place it's right. uh galton's gulch or whatever it was called an outlet at- struggle this place Skulls, where people yeah yeah whatever it's called where they go and it's behind or oh, you can't find it unless you are initiated in order right. to know where to find it so uh, i i wanted out here in 1926 uh, mystery of the cathedrals falconini claims that the gothic cathedrals hermetic libraries in stone with the secret alchemy displayed for all who could understand to read. And I just want to, I have notes that didn't make it into the main thing, but I just want to touch that because essentially that's what it is. It's this picture book on, and they would put the secrets almost like a revelation of the method of revelation or revelation of method where they put it out there, but you only understand it if you can read it. Otherwise it's still there. They completed their ritual, whatever it was let's put right. it out here for whoever can read the initiated understand what this is. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's the end of the first section. And- okay.
1: Quickly. I want to just say, when you were talking about the cube, the father, right? Like that, you know, this, so the one of the buildings that I have focused on quite a bit here in Austin um, is called the independent, right? Right. And inside this cage up top here, there is a black cube. I don't know if you can see it in that picture.
2: I can, yeah. <laughs>
1: right. So there is a cube that has a fence around it, and you can see they'll light the fence up, right, and with colors and whatnot. But inside, there's the cube. Um, let me just see if there's a picture that has like a little bit better angle on it, so we can see. And where but, is yeah. that? That's in that's in Austin. This is a building, uh, this is, um, this is the building that really started to get me thinking, right? And it is, um, it's on the area that I call my portal in, in Austin, right? Which uh, at this point I'm sharing with lots of other people that have figured out, have, have figured out what's going on over there. Here's a picture of, so like, this is the building here, right? And then there is, um something right here and a lot of these buildings want to be right looking into this right there's
2: there's an arch there there's a gateway there that's a you can consider that a gateway
1: there there's owls here and there's a new from whenever this picture was taken there's a new building here in front of that now so this is an old picture of that area um but this is shoal creek back here and um, this is a really interesting place energetically um, there's a power plant right here there is a building called the proper that I've been told Elon Musk owns the, the penthouse of and there's a new building here that looks kind of like a capsized ship um, but at night but depending on how you observe it acts as a Pythagorean palace. It projects many possibilities, including the Giza Plateau and a variety of other things. Depending on what angle you look at the building from, you were thinking it's doing
2: something different than it's doing. Perception. Um,
1: And you can't see that in this picture. And is that along
2: the 33rd parallel? I don't
1: know. I I, I don't know. I've not looked at the parallels. Uh, I've not looked at that in relation to, but I should. Yeah. So Anywho. Okay, let's real quick. Let's just have a okay. So it is almost 630. Um, I've been working all day and my better, more beautiful half is going to be home in a little bit and eventually going to want dinner. So I think we're going to probably have to split this into two shows. So do we should we move into the second hour and you can do part two there and then we can make a part three that is just for patrons as well how do you how do you want to do this i I can probably go for another hour right now um so what do you think we should do
2: the next section is not that long depending on how how much we talk but we can finish up the next section number forms end it and then we can get to the third section and get see how long we get Okay. All right. Time?
1: All right. Go go for it. Let's. I'll. I'll. I'll try to hold my tongue unless there's just something that has to be said.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> the problem with these things because it just it can go anywhere. But yeah. the next section is number forms, and in traditional mathematics, a number form is a mental map of numbers which automatically and involuntarily appear whenever somebody someone who experiences number forms because not everybody does right which is weird it's a phenomenon whenever somebody who experiences number forms thinks of numbers the numbers are mapped into distinct spatial patterns and the mappings may vary in individuals so it's a phenomenon which on the third section we get into uh Phenomenology, which is a new term I came across and I was studying this, so it was first documented by Sir Francis Galton, right? And I mentioned the what was it, the Galton Gulch or whatever it was in Atlas Stroke, I forgot the name of it.
1: Galt's Gulch, okay, Galton Gulch. Galt. Galt. I gotcha, okay, it's weird. Gulch was like some. Um, libertarian like community project in South America that I assumed was named after Galt from, Mm. you know, our brand or whatnot. So, okay. Galton is something different. Gotcha. Okay.
2: Yeah. So uh, the Sir Francis Galton, which was an English Victorian era polymath and, and this term was used in his works, the visions of a sane person. And this guy, I haven't looked more into him, but just briefly, he had a really interesting background. I just want to say that he is the the cousin to Darwin, the Charles. I think his name's Charles. Charles Darwin, the the evolution uh, theory guy. Yeah. he's family to him. So he's got a really he was knighted and all this stuff. So he's really weird. Uh, later research identified them as types of synesthesia, synesthesia, mm-hmm. and synesthesia, which meaning the union of the senses is a perceptual phenomenon in which simulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to involuntary experiences and a second sensory or cognitive pathway. So when you think of the number one and it's green or blue or something, that's what that is. And then I put on here, why is the matrix code green? So they're getting at this thing. You know what I mean? We're seeing where they're getting their influences from. And one common form of this is known as grapheme color uh, synesthesia where the individual associates numbers and letters with color experiences how i just mentioned and again just like number forms it is involuntary Mm -hmm. and the semantic vacuum hypothesis predicts the reason for why this may happen is because it's the first thing that we're taught in in, in, an educational environment to, as a child right this is the first thing that we're taught like look at the number one that's blue A one two and you and, you know the letters and all these things so that's why they say we experience that but I think it's has some I think it goes much deeper than that and mm-hmm. defining synesthesia is difficult because of the terminology so then there's another term and uh, accurate but less used term how they put it ideastasia ideastasia Theseia, I'm sorry. Ideasthesia. And again, okay. there's a lot of thesias here. So
1: excited for this one. Let's hear the
2: one. Ideasthesia <laughs> is a neuropsychological phenomenon in which activations of concepts evoke perception-like sensory experiences. Uh-huh. And it's essentially like synesthesia, but the difference is how it's triggered. Right. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the specifics. It's very convoluted, but essentially one of them considers the trigger and the outcome as a sensory hallucination It's what it is. And then the other one doesn't, it's like, Oh, well there's only one trigger. That's what defers to both. But then there's another term. Aphantasia, which is the inability to voluntary voluntarily create a mental image in your mind. So we have the two spectrums of people, the people who can tap into this, other deme- what I would consider other dimension and you have the people who they can't, there's just no way. There's people who don't have an inner monologue. There's people who don't hear their thoughts in their heads. And that gets into the whole NPC thing, which I did a whole episode on that. You can check it out on my show, uh, of people of, of what makes an NPC. And so I, I said, okay, so maybe they understand that some people can be initiated into this versus the people who can't be initiated into it. There's a, there's a two groups of people. And this is an excerpt from the book that I want to talk about in the, in the Patreon section. Uh, this is an excerpt of it uh, by a really weird guy. And, and I'll get into the lure of the book and how I got the book in the second, uh, in the behind the paywall. Because again, I'm kind of in the gray area of what I should say from it and what I shouldn't, because it's really weird. It's not available really anywhere. And I was able to get a copy. So he states this this is just what human thought is doing all the time the human mind builds architectural forms depending dependent on and determined by the nature of thought man is an architect in the invisible as well as the visible world he builds with his mind in the super substance of thought subconsciously as well as consciously in stone no doubt his visible architect is a replica of the invisible thought forms which he is all the time building in his aura and objectifying for clairvoyance to observe. When he erects a building in stone and ornaments it, he is simply objectifying the state of his own mind and emotions and those of the community or period in which he lives. Styles of architecture thus reproduce community outlook. And that is from that. So that's deep, right? So when I came across, I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. And the way I came across this book, I was like, ah. So this all sprung from the the first book, Pythagorean Palaces. If you're able to get one, it's pretty rare now, I guess. So uh, then we get into Marsilio Ficino, the guy that I mentioned at the beginning. He compared the architects as demiurges the buildings as homunculus, magical talismans that they were using back then. And this plays a role in the, uh, you know, the juice of this entire presentation is in the third half because that's when I really let loose and everything comes together. So Marsilio Ficino's number forms come from an interpretation of Plato's numbers. So Plato had this thing in the Republic where nobody knew what he meant by it. And there is There is literally no interpretation of it other than what people make of it. And Ficino was a Neoplatonic scholar. He was studying uh, Plato's works and he wrote a commentary about it. So numbers, according to Ficino, could thrive and create their own children, families, tribes, armies, and populations. They could copulate. So when three copulates with four, the four being female, and he has (laughs) a whole cosmology of what makes a number male or female, it produces 12. So three times four produces twelve. And that is a Pythagorean thought that numbers, they build on top of each other. So the 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 story of the dragon and the sword and the knight, right? The knight slaying the dragon, the sword is the monad. The the knight is is the you could consider him the three. So you have the, this idea of a demiurge, so three plus one, right? This whole, they build a story based on numbers. And I get into that in the Pythagorean number symbolism because it gets very convoluted and I, and I cover everything. But essentially, numbers could reproduce. A number can also copulate with itself. Thus, 27 is the cube of three. So it goes back to the cubic form at the end of the day. And, and I also got from this, the cube is best impl- uh, imprinted in the mind. So there's a reason this goes beyond architecture. There's a reason why at the, at the casino, the reason dice are the way they are is not because they work the best in that shape, perhaps, but because they're implemented in your mind the best. And that's why it's a cube. A dice is a cube. And that is, you could associate that cube to the, the downfall of a lot of people with gambling addictions and all these things, right? So you take that for what you will. So 27 is the cube of three, and it is therefore its own mother, father, grandmother, and grandfather on both sides. And this is a Pythagorean concept known as figured numbers. In Ficino's version of figured numbers, they are given a lot more power since every number corresponds with a geometric form. A form does and is everything that a number does and is. And man is thus a creator and architect on a small scale as God is the great architecture of the universe. Man in the image of God mentally creates forms which duplicate the greater force forms of the universe at large. And I believe that's also from the book that we will be referencing in number in the second half. And I want to just point out the basic Pythagorean hierarchy of number and form. You have the number one, two, three, four. Number one corresponds with a point. Number two corresponds with a line. Number three corresponds with a plane. And then the number four, which is the procreator of everything, corresponds with a solid. So it all goes back to the cube and I get into a lot more detail in the second half the final part where i tie everything together and we really let the sparks fly because that's where the juice is at
1: all right so a couple things just a few remarks on this and then we'll take a quick break and and move on over um when you were saying that like the numbers have relationships with each other and copulate and have relationships and whatever like i literally remember sesame street how doing that concept when I was a kid, like, you know, they're, like they were, you know, I can't remember what the, you know, it was one of the episodes and it was something about, you know, three did something to four or something like that. But it was basically a very, um, you know, they do this, right. They put it right there in front of your face. But they don't, you know, go all the way with it. It's not an idea. It's it's thought of as a childish idea that, oh, three was afraid of four, or three ate four, or three did this to four, or whatever it Seven, was, eight, right? Nine.
2: yeah.
1: Nine, right? All of this kind of thing. Yeah, right? But there is the whole, I remember, like, Grover and all, whatever the characters were. So it's there, but it, most people, if their mind went there as an adult, they'd be like, oh, that's just some silly shit I saw on Sesame Street, and they wouldn't pursue it. Like, you know, they wouldn't be like, I'm going to do a doctorate on this or something like that, right? So so that's interesting. What you said about the um, architecture, create, you said something about the community, like how it generates the community's thought form or the theme for the communities or, or whatever. Um, this was, so when I had like the main download from my cousin, William Cressalt, Um, And people can look him up. He was a mid-century modern architect, worked lots of places, but mostly in Palm Springs and other areas of Southern California, and is credited with a style of roof called the butterfly roof Um, that is pretty common in mid-century modern architecture from that point forward. There's a street named after him there. Some of his houses are really cool. But one of the things he explained to me about what they were doing with mid-century modern architecture was... Creating it's very like it's not very ornate like some of the older Victorian or Tartarian or Tudor kind of stuff, right? It's very simple angles and materials and whatnot. The idea being that this was a good design for the create a person, a creative person, a a deep thinker to unload the thought that the contents of their mind. Onto the space around them, and then look at them from sort of different angles, different perspectives with a little light in. What did it look like on a synthetic surface? What did it look like on natural slate, stone, wood, or whatever? Compare the two, and that this could evolve over time. These other structures that were ornate had an imposed idea that when you saw that, you would think this. But what this was, was like a way of examining something that as your minds changed because think about when mid-century modern came it was in the 40s 50s 60s this was a revolution this was a time where we were going from into the technological age right moving from like pre-war to post-war this was architecture Like that, that was supportive of the idea that people should open their mind that they should change their mind that things could evolve over time, not that things should stay the way that they always were. So it's interesting with what you said. And the fact is, is that a lot of these communities the entire neighborhood and whatnot would be this style of architecture. And here you had people who were part of movements to like move society in a certain direction. One can debate whether that was a good direction or not, but it does exactly the thing that you were saying happens in a community. And that was part of his communication to me. Remember that whole download? Like it was fucking weird. We're laying in the backyard. (sighs) Looking up at the sky, I have my eyes closed and I went on like this 20 minute thing. She was like, shit, I should have recorded that. That was fucking phenomenal, <laughs> right? But that's what it was. And then the last thing is, of course, you said 27. 27 was the number you picked to talk about and we have the 27 club. So I'm so curious about the um, the the sort of number character formula of these people who are thought of as being part of the 27 club and like what they're, made of right kind of thing um so so that's that's pretty interesting and michael and i did a whole show on 27 and at the end of the the show like we had the fascinating realization that like the area that we were sort of talking about in relationship to it was right along highway number 27 right so there's always that there's always that right all right let's do this let's take a quick break we're going to move over into the supporter section um, if you want to join us for that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash off planet media, emilymoyer.locals.com or rockfin.com forward slash emilymoyer. And Juan is going to give us the juice. this has already been pretty juicy, but I guess like <laughs> we're going to get like the, the real internector there. Uh, Hopefully but, I
2: don't <laughs> disappoint. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this has now not been disappointing at all. Where can people find your work, your podcast, all the things you do?
2: The one-on-one podcast on all social media platforms the 101podcast.com and you can find all my links on there i have a patreon youtube tiktok twitter instagram all that good stuff uh and yeah you can find me on there and i also want to plug i'm gonna be doing a monthly uh i guess a zine or a journal or something of the occultist monday the hidden world and it's, it's a project I'm getting together with some people. I would love if you would write an article for us. And it's just a journal of various esoteric and weird topics. I wrote about the homunculus, the alchemical homunculus. And I go on a whole spiel about that. It's history of Aristotelian biology and a whole oh. bunch of stuff. This is a prototype, but uh, we're working on the final product now. So you can find that on my website as well. And I just got copies of a comic book that I was working on. And it's going to be an ongoing series. But issue number one, <laughs> uh, strange wands versus the Saturnian cube. We're talking about the cube today, but uh, that's a, a topic I've always been obsessed with. You can find that on my website as well if you want to get a copy of it. And the next issue has Sam Tripley in it. We have Gordo from those conspiracy guys. We have uh, Isaac Weishop, We have Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. We have a whole bunch of people in the community who are going to be a part of it and it's going to be really juicy. So it's like... A, it's almost like a Rick and Morty type of thing, but with our spin on it, right? It's going to be a weird conspiracy-based comic book and you can uh, that's in collaboration with Paranoid American Comics. So yeah, you can find that on my website as well, the 11podcast.com.
1: Awesome. I will link all your stuff down below and I'm sure we'll have you back here again, but right now we're moving over to the other side. See you there, guys.